Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. All right, well, normally at this point, I would invite you to meet me in a particular passage of Scripture. But today we're going to be jumping around to some different spots. So 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, Acts, Matthew. We're going to be all over the New Testament today as we jump back into our practices conversation. So beginning in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we are told this, pray continually. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Acts 4, 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Speaking of prayer, would you join me as we, as we pray for our time in Scripture this morning? God, we ask now that you would speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us to... Uh, not just be hearers of your word, but those who hear and then put them into practice. God, would you inspire us this morning to be people of prayer? We pray this in your son's powerful name. Amen. Well, there's a very good chance that if you follow an influencer type person on Instagram that you've seen or heard this quote before. This is Uh, typically attributed to Aristotle, who said, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Now, it turns out that this is not a direct quote from Aristotle. It's actually from historian Will Durant, who about 100 years ago, 1926, was trying to succinctly summarize Aristotle's thoughts Whoever said it, Aristotle, Will Durant, doesn't really matter to me because they were on to something, right? They were on to something. We are what we repeatedly do. Now, what I appreciate most about this quote is that it exposes, it pushes on the gap that a lot of us have, really all of us, if we're being honest, the gap that we all have between how we present ourselves, right? The image that we want people to have of us and who we actually are. Are. There's a gap between the image or perception we have of ourselves and who we actually are. For example, I can tell you, I can tell you that I run, that I am a marathoner. I'm a person who runs marathons and I can buy all the running gear uh, that I can, wear it all the time. I can even believe deep in my heart that I am a marathon runner. But if I never actually go running, am I a marathoner? Now, some of us would say, yeah, if you believe it in your heart, sure, of course you are. Aristotle would say, no, no, unless you are actually training for and running marathons, it doesn't matter what you might believe or call yourself. In reality, you are not a marathoner because you are what you repeatedly do. Now, Jesus, Jesus, I think, takes this even a step further. Because Jesus is interested not just in what we believe and what we do, although certainly he's interested in those things. But Jesus is most interested in how uh, what we believe and what we do are connected. 
And the, the place that Jesus oftentimes described uh, these things connecting is our hearts. And of course, he's not talking about our, like the organ that's in your body pumping blood throughout your body. He's talking about the deepest parts of us, where who we truly are comes out. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your heart is, that is what you treasure. Now this is, again, I think in, in contrast to Aristotle and certainly to modern Instagram theology, Jesus recognizes that it is all deeply connected. What we believe, what we do, but also our intention in that. Belief, action, intention, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the end goal for Jesus is not that we become virtuous people or moral people, even though those might be good things and and worthy of aspiring to. But for Jesus, the end goal is that we become loving people. right? Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. The end goal for Jesus is that we become loving people, people who are living in right relationship with God and with each other. This is Jesus' vision of the good life, the life in his kingdom, the kingdom of right relationships. Now, we begin here. We begin here because today we are back into our conversations on the practices or what are sometimes called spiritual disciplines. Now, some of us, we love this conversation because we like having things to do. We, we like uh, uh, knowing what we're supposed to be doing. We, we like to practice this because they're practical, right? They, they give us something to do. And this is important because, again, there is truth to what Aristotle was saying there, right? We are what we repeatedly do. So some of us love this. Some of us struggle with this conversation because it might feel too much like a checklist or, or maybe the word discipline gives us hives or... We have theological questions. What about grace and works and all that kind of stuff? Here at Discovery, we do our best. We do our best to hold the tension between the great freedom and amazing grace that God has given us, but also this truth that we cannot fully experience the abundant life in His kingdom simply by hoping for it, wishing for it. We cannot get there just through positive vibes and good intentions. So we have great grace and great freedom, but we also are invited to actually do the things that Jesus talked about, right? Jesus says that wisdom is hearing his words and putting them into practice. Matthew 7, 24, wisdom is hearing his words and putting them into practice. Now, the next practice for us, next one up for us is the practice of prayer, which is a big one, right? Speaking of Jesus's words, this is one that that we see Jesus talk about. We see him teach his disciples how to do this. Prayer is a practice that feels really important. Other practices, you know, fasting, I think is a great example of this, maybe feel optional uh, or, or seasonal, right? We just went through a season of Lent where we thought a lot about the practice of fasting, but it's one of those those practices that we kind of pick up and put down depending on what is going on. Whereas prayer feels like that's something I should be doing all the time, right? So there can be this burden, I think, with this practice of like have to versus get to. Then there's also the, the reality that we have a lot of questions about the practice of prayer. 
for some of us, you know, we have questions about like, is this like a private thing? Is it just something that I do by myself? Or am I supposed to do this with other people? Some of us wonder about like uh, structure versus spontaneity. Are there specific words or phrases that I need to use when I pray? Or do I just start talking and see what happens? Some of us, we don't like praying in groups. Others of us, we can only pray in groups. For some of us, we have like theological questions. Does prayer actually do anything? Does it change anything? Is it more about changing us? Uh, for others of us, there's technique questions. Where do I start? How do I do this? For, for some of us, we, we feel like maybe we've been trying to pray for a long time. And so how, how can I make this fresh or, or, or keep it from just feeling like a routine? We have all sorts of questions when it comes to this practice. Now, over the last couple of years, this is our third year now uh, coming to the practice of prayer. Over the last two years, we have introduced you to a bunch of awesome practices. And if you don't remember what those are, or if you were not a part of the last um, conversations about this, you can go to our webpage, discoverydavis.org, click on practices. All of our practice resources from every conversation we've had are there on the webpage. You can go particularly to 2020 and <clears throat> discover that you know we went through eight or nine different great practices. And you can read about them. You can try them out. Our encouragement to you is to experiment and to figure out what works for you. For me, for example, I love the practice of the daily exam. It's been super helpful to me in my practice of prayer. But again, find the ones, that the methods, the techniques that work for you. And you may find that, that what works this year, it's going to be different next year and so on. And that's the beauty of prayer and all the different ways that we can connect to God in this conversation. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This year, I think the invitation for us is less about techniques and a lot more about our posture. I want us to think about not just what we do when we pray, but how we pray. Again, what is our overall collective posture towards Prayer. Let me suggest three different postures for us this year. Posture number one is the posture of consistency. This comes back to that, that, that little tiny verse, <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Just two words, right? Pray continually. There's a more famous uh, translation of this verse, pray without ceasing. Now again, here is a very intimidating statement, right? Pray continually, pray without ceasing. It seems impossible for us to do this. I, I mean, are we really supposed to like never work or go to sleep, you know, or do anything else other than pray? Uh, are we going to lock ourselves in our rooms and get on our knees and never come out because we are praying without ceasing? Here's the thing. This is a posture statement, not a technique statement. This is a posture statement, not a technique statement. So what does it look like to have the posture of continual or consistent prayer? I think there are a couple things that we need to say about prayer in order to adopt this posture. First of all, prayer is less about the words that we say and more about the position we place ourselves in. Again, words are important. There, there's obviously things that, that we can and should say <laughs> when we talk to God. But again, that's a technique thing versus a posture thing, right? Prayer places us in submission to God. By definition, prayer is acknowledging that we are not our own. We are not in control. We need help. We need God. So first of all, to pray without ceasing is to recognize 
our dependence on God. Second, prayer is, again, not just a thing that we do. It is a way of being. Throughout Scripture, we read things like this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's Colossians 3, 17. But we read very similar things in various other parts of Scripture. Prayer is, again, not just about folding our hands and, and, and bowing our heads and saying a couple of words. Your life is a prayer. Your life is a prayer. Your life is this honest, ongoing conversation with God. Not just about technique, it is about posture. I love the, the translation of Romans 12.1 in the message. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That is a posture of consistent prayer. Putting it all, placing it all before God, uh, acknowledging our submission to Him, making it part of our ongoing conversation with Him, which is the second posture, right? To have a conversational posture towards prayer. So we want to have a consistent posture towards prayer. We want to have a conversational posture towards prayer. This uh, gets us to that Philippians 4 passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, okay, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, quick side note here. This verse is often has often been misapplied in some uh, pretty terrible ways. It has been used to teach that if you have anxiety, you are not praying enough. It's been used to say that if you go to counseling, that's a lack of faith. It's been used to say that if you take medication for mental health reasons, you are not trusting God. No, that is not what this verse is teaching. The emphasis here is not so much on anxiety as it is on that, that phrase, every situation. Again, this is not a technique statement. This is a posture statement. The invitation of a posture of conversation is to turn everything into a prayer. To turn everything into a prayer. <clears throat> I meet monthly with the spiritual director and I'll, I'll express you know, something to him. I'll, I'll talk about a frustration that I'm facing, a challenge, some lack of clarity, and, and very consistently he invites me to turn it into a prayer. Incorporate it in your ongoing, honest conversation with God. What do you need to turn into a prayer right now? Is it your anger at your boss? Is it an issue or a challenge with your kids? Is it a fear that you have about a hard conversation with someone in your life? Turn those things into a prayer. God, why, why am I experiencing this frustration at work? What's going on there? Why, would, why is there this block you know, with my kids? What are you trying to teach me in this, in this moment? Why am I so afraid of this conversation? What's going on? What's the thing behind the thing there? Turn it all into a prayer. Every situation, present it to God. Make it part of your conversation with Him. So we have a posture of consistency we have a posture of conversation. And then a the final posture is to have a communal approach to prayer. 
Now, next week, we start a new conversation. I'm really excited about it. We're going to be getting into the New Testament book of Ephesians. I'm so excited about this because we haven't done a New Testament, what, what are called epistles or letters, since I've been here. Ephesians has a ton of great stuff for us to chew on. But one of the, the sort of sub-goals for our time in Ephesians is, is working on eradicating our tendency to interpret Scripture through an individual lens. We are so conditioned by American culture, by Western theology, just by church structure in general, to read ourselves into the story. But the issue with that is, A, that's not how most of Scripture is written, and then B, it creates this, this like, oh, it's up to me to do all these things. right? It's up to me to pray without ceasing, up to me uh, uh, to present every request to God, you know, speaking about prayer, right? But with very few exceptions, almost every word of Scripture was written to communities. And I really desire for us to recapture this way of reading Scripture. To again, apply it to today. Praying without ceasing. That's not just something that Steve has to do. That's an invitation to us, to discovery. Hey, Discovery, what does it look like for us to pray without ceasing? Present every request to God. That's not just Steve. Present all your requests to God. That's an invitation to Discovery Christian Church. Let's present everything to God. Moving away from that individualistic to that communal reading of Scripture. Here's a great example for us. In Acts chapter 4, we see the early church face a big challenge. Okay, it's very, very early on in the story. They're just starting to get together and, and figure out some of the implications of what it means for them to be a church now that Jesus is gone. And, and they get in trouble. They're getting in trouble with the religious authorities who are telling them, you've got to stop talking about this Jesus. You've got to stop telling this story. Just knock it off and, and we can all kind of carry on in peace. In the, in the uh, face of that challenge, their immediate reaction is to pray and to pray together. It's not, hey, go, go, go to your homes and go pray about this when you have some time. No, they get together, they pray together about that challenge immediately. And we, we read the result of that prayer gathering earlier, Acts 4.31. They prayed, and after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They face a challenge, they pray communally, the ground literally moves. To me, this is the big invitation for us for the practice of prayer in 2022 is to move from technique to posture and to move from individual practices to doing this communally. To take our challenges to God immediately without ceasing, all of it in prayer together. So, Discovery Christian Church, may we take up these postures as we practice the practice of prayer together. May we be consistent, right? May we be consistent in prayer to the point where our lives become prayers. May we be conversational, right? May we turn everything into a prayer. May we bring all of our experiences into our ongoing conversation with God. And then may we be communal. May we have a communal posture towards prayer, thinking about, hey, let's do this together. Along, along the lines of that last part of the challenge is, is to think through who are those people 
in your life that, that you can pray consistently with. I think sometimes we, we swing from individualistic to like, okay, everybody's got to get together and pray. And there are moments to do that for sure. But there also, there's also this reality of, of praying, like having people in your life who you pray with consistently. Maybe it's a text chain. Maybe it's in our Discovery Christian Church app. Maybe it's just you guys get together once a week for coffee and you pray for one another. But whatever, whatever you need to do, how, however you, you do it, may that be a part of your experience. Having people who you are praying with together on a regular basis. Now, speaking of things that we do together, let's uh, move into our closing time of worship by first gathering around the table, the communion table, where we remember what Jesus has done for us. In Luke 24, there's this great moment where, where Jesus actually shows up, the resurrected Jesus shows up for these two guys who are trying to sort out what's just happened in Jesus' death uh, and, and burial. And, and for a long time, they don't recognize him, right? But then he sits down with them, and, he, and as he breaks bread and gives thanks, right? As he prays over the communion elements, that's when they recognize, oh, Jesus is here. He's been with us this whole time. Part of our ongoing conversation, our praying without ceasing, comes back to this table where we remember who Jesus is, what he has done for us, that he has given his body and his blood, right, to make it possible for us to live in right relationship with God. That, that he has broken down all the barriers, all, anything that prevented us from having access to this ongoing conversation with God. It's gone now because of what Jesus has done for us and his death and resurrection. So as we gather around the table today, may you remember the good news of Jesus' sacrifice for you the good news of his resurrection, that there is this abundant life available to each one of us. And then may you step into this ongoing, honest, continual conversation with him. And may you do it with other people. When you're ready, take communion as we worship together.